Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Jeffrey Trash. And I'm Matt Croger. Today we are reviving the List Builder Studio with none other than the man, the myth, the legend, the lord of all continents, the king of kings, the indomitable Mr. Jeffrey Trash. Thanks so much for joining us, Trashy. Not a problem. We haven't caught up for a while. Uh, what have you been up to in the hobby in your uh, in your social isolation? Are you are you still going to work, mate? Yes, I work for Post. So uh, at the moment we're still running. As far as I know, uh, Post are running in every country. Yeah, yeah. right. So yeah, well, without you, the world would stop turning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are people out there, especially the older generation, that uh, need that sort of thing. Not everyone's on the internet. So. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. And uh, have you been getting much up to much in the hobby? I know you play a lot of UB. Have you been doing anything else? Ah, yeah, mainly just the UB, that's it. Obviously, all the tournaments have been cancelled. Yeah. It's uh, sad news, but that's that's the way it is. Um, hobby-wise, I've, I've got all these thoughts about getting in and doing some things, and I will, but just the last few weeks have been, uh, I don't know, so so surreal that uh, you tend to forget about everything else. Yeah, you do, don't you? Yeah, yeah, just watching updates and seeing what's going on and obviously my business closed down, so I lost that as well. So, oh, What was your business? Uh, teaching martial arts. So. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, it, um, it's had a pretty big impact on everyone. Yes. Um, how many games a week have you been playing on UV? Ah. <sighs> Probably about three a week, which is uh, fairly minimal, really, for for what I would tend to get. For you, yeah, well, for you, it's less a hobby and more of an addiction, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to do a little bit of hobby, but I've been struggling a bit, like you, to kind of, when, particularly with painting models and trying to get it up when there's no tournaments to play, but I've been yep. using those new contrast paints from GW on my Undead. I think they... They go really nicely on the undead because you can be a little bit messier. And I'm no great hobbyist. I just like to punch it out and get it done and get it on the table. Yeah, me too. And uh, I've heard a lot of good news about that. My son actually is doing 40K at the moment, and he recommended those to me as well. Yeah, I just get them on there and a quick dry brush over the top, and they're coming up really nice, actually. So, um, you know, if you if you don't want to be an elite-level painter, I think they're a, they're a great little addition. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so it's time to get inside your mind, Jeffrey Trash. Uh, and uh, as you know, we have a popular saying in Australia, when you play Jeffrey, you're about to get trashed. So uh, let's find out how you do- dole out the beatings, mate. Um, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from in Australia, and how you got into tabletop gaming. Okay, well, I live in uh, Lamia, which is near C- Campbelltown in Sydney. Uh, and I got into tabletop gaming because my son, when he was about 10 years of age, had a car accident and uh, he got a small claim through, I think about $1,500 at the time. 
So uh, myself and my wife decided to split it so that he could spend half of the money on himself and half of the money would go to uh, clothing and school things, etc. So he decided to go uh, and buy a fantasy army, which I thought was a great waste of money, <laughs> to be honest. But I'd already said, yeah, that's what you can do. So that's that's what we did. We bought it for him and then... Uh, I took him down to the store once we'd put the things together and uh, the store owner was showing him how to play, so I was standing there watching and started to get involved a bit and saying, no, look, do this and try, how about you do that? And um, Yeah, before I knew it, I was completely addicted and took completely over from my son. <laughs> and does he still play now? Uh, yeah, well, he's doing 40K at the moment. Oh, 40K, you said that, yep. Yeah, yeah. But he, he played fantasy for many years, and I used to love uh, doing the game with him. We went in a lot of uh, team championships, won quite a few of them between us. So uh, great being able to do something with your children. Yeah. Well, tell me, how's your gaming evolved over time? What what scenes have you been part of since you started tabletop gaming? Okay, well, I started in fantasy, as I said, and many, many years in that. Um, then... Uh, I forget which edition it was, where the rules sort of went out the window a bit. Uh, I changed over to War Machine. I pretty much just followed what what the group was into. So Ken Ferris and Jeff Galea and so forth. I was sort of hanging around with that group. They all went to War Machine, so I went to War Machine with them. Uh, we did that for three or four years, and then uh, Jeff Galea told me about Kings of War coming out and said, oh, let's go try that out, and... Uh, as soon as I started playing it, that was that was it. That's the game for me. It was very much like fantasy, but better. Yeah, right. Okay. Is is this what is it about Kings of War that you particularly like over the other systems you've played? It's the fairest system I've seen, and they're continually trying to to make it fair. I think each edition's uh, getting better. Um, the harder it is to crack a list, the better the system is, and I found it much harder in this edition to find, uh, say, armies that are more overpowered than the others. There are slight differences, you know, some some are slightly uh, more powerful, but it is a, a very small difference. So where, where one army is good in one thing, uh, another army will be better in another thing, but have a weakness in another area. So they've really balanced it well, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so is Kings your favourite all-time tabletop game, or, or is there something else? Yes, it is. I would have uh, initially would have always said fantasy, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, to me it, it's fantasy, but done cleaner and better. Yeah. Is there anything you miss about Warhammer Fantasy? Um, not really. Uh, I, I did enjoy it. As I said, I, I love playing and got to travel all over the world with it and into a couple of. Uh, world team championships that was a lot of fun so I suppose if anything it's the people not everyone's still still there you know some are playing different games so that that would be the only thing I'd miss yep okay um so talking specifically about Kings of War now we're going to have a look a bit at uh what your Kings of War credentials are so you've been playing since the start of second edition basically is that right Pretty much, yeah. I think uh, we've done 
four. I've done the last four CanCons, is it? Four. Yeah, I think we're up to four now. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever it is, that that's how long. I, I came in just before uh, uh, one of the CanCons, so four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, probably four years. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and loved it. Obviously, you run those, and it, it is the best one in our uh, whole region, and uh, continues to be so. So, uh, thanks, mate. Um, and do you do you have particular armies that you play, Jeff, or yeah, w- what armies are you currently playing? Okay, it's probably easier to tell you the ones that I don't play <laughs> because I play pretty much everything. Um, the one thing is I do only play the armies that I can put the models on the board with. Yep. Sometimes they are uh, they're not the uh, Mantic models, mm-hmm. so it could be proxies, etc. But I make sure that I have got the models to actually put it on. So the only ones I don't play are Ratkin, uh, the Sylvan Elves, and Elves. So, yeah, right. Uh, okay. So that leaves, I don't know, how many armies are we up to these days? 45 or something ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you get a human army, you can play three or four different lists. Yeah, well, that's currently what I'm working on. I'm, I've got some of those, well, not some. I have a lot of those Dragon Empire models from Titan Forge, so that'll be my next project. Um, um, and playing it as whatever human army I feel like on the day. Yeah, my last couple of games have been with Rordia. Yeah, but, and you've been enjoying that? Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm experimenting with different things, and that's that's part of uh, why my lists are the way they are, which I'll explain when we get to it. Um, yeah, it's all to do with experimentation and trying things out. And uh, But, yeah, they're, they're a good list. Uh, some things were better than I thought. Other things weren't as good as I thought, but that's that's all part of it. Absolutely. How often would you look to change it, change up what you're playing in terms of maybe between the armies, first of all? How often would you well, change you, up which armies you're playing? I can change within a week. Mm-hmm. It's not unheard of. Um, but normally if I'm, I'm working up towards a tournament and I might experiment with, say, one or two armies for that tournament, then I'll, I'll get the one that I want to go with and then I'll play that till the tournament comes along. Yep. And then I'm relieved because I can change my army and go to something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got a bit of army ADD, Jeff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, tell us about uh, what tournaments you've been pretty successful at in the last few years, which I know it would be easy to just say all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but why don't you tell us specifically how you've gone, if you can remember? Yeah, it's hard for me to remember everything. I've won most of the uh, ones from Brisbane and... Um, Battle in the Vines and those sort of ones. I suppose my biggest ones would be the Masters, winning three of the four Masters uh, that we've had. And also, I like my record at CanCon lately. Uh, the last three years, I haven't lost a game. Um, didn't win them all. I got two seconds and a first. Uh, but that's partially the way I play and the way I build my list. So. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's something we'll highlight later because you don't tend to lose a lot of games, but it's probably the, depending on the scoring system, you can be penalised a little bit sometimes because you're, you're, you're big on objective but not so much on attrition, depending on the army. Yeah, I, I don't look at it as a penalty. I, I think it's just part of, of how I play, and that's I understand that uh, 
some people are going to get bigger wins than, than me, and that's fine because uh, they're taking the list to do that. I, I could do that if I wished, but yeah. that's not, not how I play, so yep. fair fine. enough. Well, with that kind of success rate, here's your platform, Jeff, and this is a shout-out to Ronnie. Do you think Mantic should be getting you over to Clash of Kings to mix with those lesser humans over there? <laughs> well, I actually, a couple of my most uh, common opponents uh, are friends from the UK now. I call them friends because we've been playing for quite a while. And, uh, yeah, have some really good games. Uh, Ed Herzig, uh, uh, Ben Johnson, um, uh, another one, Paul, that I've been playing. It's I think you and Ben Johnson have a permanent room on UBs these days, don't well, you? We, you know, we, were, we were playing every week, and, and we still normally do unless something happens. But uh, I'm really happy to see how much Ben's improved from when we first got together. He, he stuck at it, and he's been getting better and better. He, he ended up getting equal uh, fourth with me in the last uh, Call to Arms. Well, that's the other one, obviously, been winning the Call to Arms as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, I personally think that's one of the great things about you, Trashy, is that you're always very generous with your time in terms of, you know, how to help people get better. So, you know, which you don't always get from the top tier players. So, you know, I think it's great for the community to have someone like yourself willing to, you know, give the time not just to play, but to, to talk to people about how to play and how yeah. you play. No, I appreciate that. And I know at some of the uh, newer tournaments, I've probably copped a little bit of flack for a while. Uh, in that we'd had smaller tournaments with new players and say, you know, it's not fair I'd go along and, and smash them, but that was not, that was not the vibe there, not the vibe of the people that I played. Nearly every single newer player, I helped them, I went through their list after, I picked them up during the game and said, look, if you do this, this is what can happen. Do you want me to help you? Because a lot of them don't want to, they've, you know, it'll make them feel um, sort of degrading them in yep. a way. Yep. So I always check with them first if, if they want the help or not. Um, but yeah, I, I had a lot of really good feedback from newer players and a few of them have gone on to compete in tournaments and, uh, yeah. yeah I think that's completely, and it's completely right, right? You got, you got to adapt to the individual. Like you say, some people don't want the help, you know? Personally, I learned well from my mistakes, so. I'm happy to make mistakes, you know, but some people, you know, if they're new to the tournament scene, would love that help. So I think it's great to adapt to the individual. Um, yeah, I mean, I've only played you once, Tracy, but I was struck by, I called you the beautiful mind after that because it looks like you're barely thinking about the game, but then all of a sudden all my toys are gone. <laughs> Sometimes it surprises myself. Yeah. <laughs> Struggling along with people and you have a really good hard battle for, so the first four turns and then everything falls apart for them after that. It is like that in Kings, isn't it? It can really just spin big in one turn. Yes, yes. And I usually find around turn four, turn five is when it, it tends to fall one way or the other. Not always, but normal. The List Builders Studio. All right, so let's um, get on to a bit of list building stuff, mate. So first of all, I want to kind of go through what draws you to an army in particular? Is it how the army plays? Is it their perceived weaknesses or advantages? Is it how rare it is on the scene? Talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, uh, probably a little bit of all those things. Uh, normally, I'll, I'll be reading the book, the rules book, and 
I'll uh, be comparing a unit to another unit that I'm playing. So I'm playing uh, League of Rodia at the moment, and I'm looking at a certain unit there, whether it be a chaff unit, a flying unit, etc. And then I'll compare that to uh, a similar type of unit in other armies. And then I'll see some that are slightly better and some that are slightly worse. Uh, but usually something will catch my eye and I think, oh, geez, that seems really good. I could use that in a certain way. And then I'll build the list from that unit outwards, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether it be a chaff, okay, well, I'll look at what hammers I can add in, um, what characters I need, inspiring, etc. So, uh, yeah, it normally starts with a, a unit or a character or something like that from another list that I've, I've read and that catches my interest. Okay. And so do you give any consideration at all to army theme or fluff or, or even just their play style when list building? Uh, to be completely honest, I'm not a big one for fluff. Uh, I know a lot of people love the fluff and... That's good. I, I am a tournament player. Um, Theme-wise, same thing. I, I tend to build lists not on trying to get a theme, but uh, just what goes together. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so for you it's more about ideal army construction and what you can get out of an army rather than the background of that army. Yes, yes, it's true. It probably won't go down great. Greatly with some people, but that—that is—that's the truth. That's yeah. well, a hobby's different for everyone, right? If that's yeah. what you enjoy, that's what you enjoy. Yeah, I love competition. I always have. Mm. Yeah. Um. All right, and now a bit more onto the nitty gritty. Do you have any foundational concepts that you use in your list building, no matter what force you are playing? Yes. Uh, I tend to, as I said, I'll start with a certain unit and I'll work my way up and down, but. I always look for uh, a certain number of hammers in the army, uh, whether that be a, a big flyer, um, a large infantry horde or a big cavalry unit or something like that. But I, I try and get at least three in at, say, 2,000 points. Uh, then I'll look at the chaff or how I'm going to deliver those units. So if they're a faster one, you're not looking at the delivery system so much because you tend to uh, outpace. You've got more speed than the other person. But I tend to be a a more infantry-based player, so I need the chaff or those lead-up components so that I can get the first charge with my main hitting units. I don't want them to be hit by cavalry or flyers, etc. So... uh, Okay, and to you, does it matter when you're looking at those hammers, like you said before you compare units from one army to another. What about, do you set yourself, uh, something I feel like I've seen in your list is you don't like to spend big amount of points on a single unit. Um, so you're looking for a point-sufficient hammer or just a hammer? Or w- what are you looking for in those hammers? Yeah, point-sufficient. Point uh, and I tend to get point-sufficient because I'm not going for the premium units. Uh, if you, say, go a, a horde of Elahoy, uh, they're up around the 300 mark where I'll, I'll be happy with a, a large infantry one that's around the 200, 220, something like that. Uh, because it's not as good, but you can make it as good by having that delivery system, as I said, have something to wear the initial charge off their 
elite units and then hit them with yours, and then your unit becomes better because you're actually getting the first charge. This is all about getting the first charge in. That's what makes them so good. Yeah, because I guess the definition of most hammers is that they grind as well, right? So that first charge being really important. Yeah, very much so. You can win the combat on the first charge, as we all know. And if you don't kill them, you've done enough damage to then finish them off with something lighter, which is very important as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and you mentioned chaff, and you mentioned that um, you have more of an infantry-heavy-based play style, um, which means that you do need some sort of delivery system. Is there a set number of chaff units you like to include, and, and do you also consider anti-chaff when you're building your list? Not so much anti-chaff because I have my own chaff and I don't mind having chaff battles. That's that's fine by me. Um, I, it'll depend on the number of hammers and and the list itself. It does vary from one to another. Some I'll have uh, three chaff units. Some I'll have six. So, again, it depends what's available in the list. I know with... Uh, my recent one with League of Rodeo end up with quite a few because I can have units that are doing multi-purpose roles. So like a, a wizard on a Pegasus to me is multi-purpose. It'll, uh, it'll shoot out some lightning bolt and it's a fantastic chaff unit for 85 points. Yeah, I've noticed that in those, some of those men lists is getting a, getting a peg on a wizard is almost auto right given that it gives you unit, unit strength as well and it's quite Cheap to add the Pegasus. Yeah, yeah. People rave on about gargoyles. A, a wizard on a Pegasus is much better value for what it does and how you can use it in the army. Um, you know, higher nerve, higher save. I know it doesn't regen, but as we know, most gargoyles go in one shot. So, uh, and they're they're doing something before that. You know, they are running around and zapping lightning bolts or breath attack if you want to go that way. Though I don't think many people would. Yeah, and I also think because of that, like often their lightning bolt output as a single unit is quite low, right? So often people ignore them, but that just allows you to kind of use it multidimensionally. Yeah, yeah, just chip away at them. And uh, if they're still alive at the end of the game, they, they might be that extra wound or two you need to finish a unit off. But um, I, I have no problem with using 80 to 90% of my army as chaff my characters, everything, because nothing's too expensive normally. Yeah, so the old adage of everything is chaff would kind of suit your army style, do you think? Really? My hammers. My hammers aren't chaff, but I will, I will even throw them away to win the game. I have no problem with that. Uh, when it comes to your list building, mate, do you, do you consider uh, the number of drops in your list, uh, whether it is, and does that vary between armies or elite? Or horde armies? Yeah, I, I tend not to go elite armies. Uh, very rare I'll run. I can't remember ever running an, an elite army, so to speak. My usual drop at, at uh, 2,000 points probably averages around 14 to 15 drops, and I'll go up to 16, 17 in some lists if I can. Uh, you do tend to spread yourself thin. So it's um, it's a real challenge running lists like that. They're very big, but every unit, you know, the, the opposition has units that will kill anything that you've got. 
So whenever you're having a fight one on one, you're losing, you know, pretty much guaranteed. So it's a real, uh, I, I find it quite enjoyable, but, but trying to outmaneuver and, uh, get those units to combine together to get what you want, which is normally for me the scenario, not so much the win. And that's, as we said, uh, I tend to, uh, I, I have many games where I've lost on attrition, but I still win the game. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like more with that high drop style, what you really have to do is even more so than usual maybe is be playing two or three turns ahead, it sounds like, because you're always going to lose the one-on-one combat. Yes, yes. You've got to learn how to delay people, uh, what's the cheapest unit to throw away to achieve what you want. Um, you still, as I said, you still need those couple of hammers because you, you do have to destroy uh, the other person's army at some stage. You can't run through, you know, dying all over the place. It doesn't do much. But, uh, yeah, it's, it is about delivering them and, and keeping them on the, the board. And your two or three hammers might take out all six of theirs because they never get that first shot at you. Um, now, we've heard on this Bill Studio before and, and on other podcasts as well about this concept about combat groups or battle groups. Um, do you tend to look at your list in that style? Like, do you have set combat groups in your mind and you're going to deploy them together regardless of what the other person's doing? And and if you have my... Well, I guess let's answer that bit first. Um, in short, no, I don't run combat groups. Uh, the only thing I do do is have my inspiring spread out to cover as much of my army as possible. But, yeah, with a... Depending on what I'm playing against, uh, my deployment's all about matching up to the oppositions. So I, I'm not going to have some preconceived idea of what I'm going to do. It, it'll happen on the spot with whatever they, whatever they're putting down, um, and, uh, the terrain, their type of army, etc. So yeah, I don't run in battle groups. Okay. And what about, so you, you think about spreading that inspiring. Do you do you have certain inspiring sources allocated to different parts of your army, or that's responsive to the opponent as well? That is responsive to the army. So, so sometimes it will go with a certain thing. Uh, I say that in that some armies, the inspiring only inspires certain parts of your army. So in that case. Uh, yes, you would. If I'm running, say, Trident Realms, I run that Depth Horror one, and having the Depth Horror Eternals, which are great value, they only inspire Depth Horror. So obviously, they would be running near the Depth Horror. So that that would be the only uh, change to that. Right. Um, so while we're on the concept of inspiring, how do you incorporate that coverage into your list building how do you think about say the number of sources does it vary with the army and your list construction talk to us a little bit about how you think about that inspiring whilst you're building the list right i'd probably say my my normal one would be about three inspiring at two thousand points um but it does does change up and down the forces of abyss list uh, can end up with a lot more just because uh, the characters and some of the things that I like to use have built-in inspiring. So that's really good. Uh, so it does come down to the list. I have gone down, I have even run lists without any inspiring, but 
that's really uh, sticking your neck out when you do that. Yeah, and so what would it be about a list that you'd think, oh, I can get away without it here? Is it is it something like a Undead that has a lot of Fearless and is cheap, or, or what would be your thinking there? Uh, it would come down to that my units are that cheap that it doesn't really matter if they die, so be it. Mm, so, so typically what you're saying is you, you probably usually operate on about a minimum of three at 2,000 points, but it will vary depending on what the units you like are in the army and what their role is. Yeah, so my more, more important units will pretty much always have inspiring where possible. Uh, some of my cheaper units, uh, they can be out on their own and they fend for themselves, so... I'm fine with that because, you know, their job is to get out there and die. And if they don't die, then they're going to achieve something else for me. And the inspiring's probably just not worth. Sometimes you're spending more points on inspiring to save something when that inspiring could have got you another unit. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's just not worth it. Uh, so let's talk about magical artifacts now. Uh, there's different theories on magical artifacts, Trashy. Some people like to make good units better or make something a unit's particularly good at better. Um, some people only like to use them if they have leftover points. Where do you where do you sit with magical artifacts? I tend to be the leftover points uh, type of person. Um, if I can get an extra unit in, I will. Uh, where people I find spend enough points on magical items, uh, they'll lose a drop. And there, there's a couple of considerations there uh, when it comes down to drops. Not only do you have the more units score in a game, but being able to out-deploy your uh, opponent is really crucial, really crucial as to where you want your hammers and how the scenario is going to play out, etc. So... The more you spend on items, the less you're going to have the ability to get those extra drops. Yep, so you'd always be uh, putting more, more toys on the board before you picked up some of these magical items, if you could. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, does that mean then, because um, do you ever use any of the bigger magical items, you know, those 35, 40 point ones, or is, is it always, you know, you're down to five points, so it'll be a blade of slashing or something like that? Uh, it's normally just the blade of slashing once every... 20 or 30 games, I might pull out a, a bigger one, and it's normally the the uh, crystal, the one that blows up. Just oh, yeah. Just for giggles? Yeah, yeah, just for fun. And it's Maybe I've just hit that point in the list where I've got 50 points and it won't buy me anything. Uh, normally, I'd, you'd rather, probably more sensible to spread those points out than the items or upgrade something. But if you can't, which does happen occasionally with lists I build, um, I, I'll put something like that on there yeah, for a bit of fun. But I, I never stick with it. It'll only last the, the one game and then I'll go back to something different. Yeah, okay. So you, you, I guess then what that means is that with your list building, you're inherently looking at what the, what the unit naturally does well and not necessarily trying to han- enhance that. The only way you enhance it is by what you support it with unit-wise. Exactly, and I also look at it in the reverse. The more you spend on items on the unit, the bigger loss it is. True, yes. Because it it dies just as easy as it did when it was at its lowest cost. Um, And now thinking about objectives when you're building your list, um, do you consider different scenarios when you're list building and how the army's going to play across broadly across scenarios? Definitely. 
You do? Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. What I do is once I've uh, come up with a list, I'll, I'll build it, as I said, the way I, I normally do, uh, and then I'll get that list and I'll go back to the book and I'll read every single scenario and I'll put my list into that scenario in my mind of how I think it will perform and if there's any weaknesses there because uh, some some scenarios you will get weaknesses in lists that I've just forgotten about. Um, ones like rays where you're trying to get the one on the opposite side. Uh, having a flyer or two is, is fantastic in that type of one. Um, I, I can't remember all the, the scenarios. No, no, that, that's okay. But I mean, the, the, I guess the general thing is that yes, you do. And you basically account for all of them. I mean, I think most of the tournaments in Australia don't, if they release the scenarios, they don't tend to release them till really late, right? So you tend to build an all comers list. Exactly. Yeah. I always yeah. build an all comers one. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you mentioned speed there. Do you, when it comes to speed, is there, um, how do you account for speed and flyers in your list? Is Once again, do you only include them if they're points efficient or do you tend to have a certain number that you like? Um, do you consider anti-flying? Or, or talk to us a bit about how speed goes into your list. I, I tend to look at the anti-flying more than the flying myself. Sometimes to get an anti-flyer, you need a flyer to, be, to do that anti-flying. So... Uh, I virtually never take dragons or anything like that. I have taken void lurkers, which would probably be the closest thing to it. Um, but when I'm facing them, they they are a big problem, the big flyers, definitely. So if you're facing one or two dragons, um, half the time that's, that's the only thing you worry about is where they're going and how they're going to uh, affect your game. So I usually have three different ways, depending on the that I'm building to count. Uh, one is the individual, which is well-known, having individuals ground them and then hit them with a, a good solid unit. Uh, that can work, depends how good the individuals are in the list. Uh, and it, even if it uh, puts the person off so that they uh, tend not to go in the places that they want to because you've got that anti-flying, you've achieved what you wanted. So... They can be a very good, cheap way of doing it. Um, second way would be to get a flyer. So I'd normally go a medium flyer, so something around the 200 to 250 marks, so a bit cheaper than the dragons, <clears throat> but enough to scare them to say, well, if you come down here, you bring your dragon out to attack me, I'm going to hit you first, and I'll probably have time to get some backup up there and to then take you out. So... I win that battle in that mine costs less. So if I've nullified you by doing that, then I'm up by 50 or 100 points in the battle, so to speak. So they're a very good anti-flyer. If you don't have those sort of uh, things, you either have to layer uh, your armies on the on the flanks. That's a little bit harder, and I'm, I won't say that I'm always successful with that, uh, or shooting. If you've got enough decent shooting, like goblins, that they were always well known for having their their guys at the back. Anything come near them, you know, they just shoot them off with the, the little trombones, etc. Uh, very good anti flyer, uh, same as ogres with the uh, you know the lead belcher type things, the shooters and the support. They're all very good, uh, very good anti flyers. 
But yeah, they are, to me, they are a problem, flies. Yeah, and I think you're right about those big flies, isn't it? Sometimes you see a couple, and it's not only the hurt they can put out themselves, it's the psychology of them, right? It's kind of the same as, you know, four or five war machines. Um, they're definitely, you can combat them, but the psychology's there from the start of the game about, oh my god, I've got to deal with these things. Yeah, well, you know yourself. You get a flyer on your flank or a flyer in your rear, and your whole army's, the, the whole plan can go out the window. Because, um, yeah, can t- they can hit you at any any place at any time. And, you know, if you turn towards them, then they hit you in the front. If you don't turn towards them, they get you in the flank. It, it becomes a bit of a nightmare. So you have to either layer, and then they can hit the, the back layers. So, yeah, they can, can cause you a lot of grief, I find. And do you try and have multiple speed levels in your army, like – whether it's five and six and ten, or, or does it just matter on what you've just picked a unit for a purpose and the, the the staggering of speed doesn't really matter? No, I do do the staggering of speed, but I tend to leave out the medium side in most of my lists. So I say I'm infantry-based with some flyer support, and that's that's there because the flyer support will stop the cavalry, etc. Uh, so that's the medium base, like the ones that are a bit faster. Um, and they'll also be there to stop the uh, other person's flyers. So they can contend with those two levels, and I can have that stronger base in my infantry. Because you, you're getting higher nerve levels, you know, usually a better damage output once the grind gets going. Um, but you've got to get them into that position. So the flyers is about the only way. If I, if I just take, say, cavalry and infantry, the flyers will cause me a bit of a nightmare and I won't have a really good idea of, of shutting them down. Uh, yeah, yeah, so and when you're talking about cavalry, more around that speed eight mark. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about allies, mate? How do you do you one, do you often play with them? And two, if you do, um, how do you use them to to in your list building? Okay. I do enjoy playing allies. I don't play them all the time. Probably about uh, 30% of the lists I build have allies in it. And what they normally are, people always say, oh, you're trying to shore up a list, you know, cover the weakness. Honestly, that isn't the way that I use them. It's normally that I've done that thing that I said where I'm looking at the units from another army. I find something I like. I go, okay, I'll try that and I'll put it in as an ally. Um so whether it be a character or a unit or whatever, I'll add that to my main list. If it can supplement, like complement the list, then obviously I will try to do that. Um, but it's normally about trying that list or trying the units from that list, and then I'll often go to my next project. Will be that ally will become my main army. That's that's really interesting. I when I'd looked at your list, I'd never assumed that 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 was the case in terms of basically you were just trying them out because that is almost the same theory as the hobbyists do, a lot of them, you know, except for the people that cover up a weakness, which is you know, I personally don't like allies for that reason, but a lot of people argue for them because they're like, well, if we're painting something and it's a little bit, we want to be able to include it and try it out. And you're kind of essentially saying the same thing except from your point of view, whereas you like to play units that are point sufficient and that grab your interest. Yes, yeah. Very much. As I said, I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't use them to complement the list because if I can, I will. 
but it's more about the unit than it is about the whole makeup of the army. Tournaments tend to be a little bit different. You're trying to put together a really strong list <clears throat> because uh, there's a lot of strong lists that people play in those tournaments and um, you've got to have – you can't take a completely weak list because you, you know, it's going to be very difficult to win with. Yeah, so um, we already talked a little bit about deployment where you said you are reasonably responsive to your opponent. Do you ever go in, though, with a pre-deployment idea, whether that's based on scenario or your units, or is it just 100% responsive to your opponent? Talk to us about that. Okay. Uh, scenario, definitely. That that plays a big part in the way I deploy. As you can understand, if, you, if you're uh, the one where you have to capture the centre or you're doing invade or you're doing an objective-based one, uh, that's definitely going to affect the way I deploy. But having said that, it will be done in conjunction with reacting to what my opponent does. I try and force out certain units uh, because I might have the answer, say, the dragon or their war machines or whatever. I want to know where they are. And if I've got something that's uh, going to be hurt badly by those things, I want to on the other side of the table where I can do damage with them and not get hit hit by their biggest weakness. So I shore up weaknesses through uh, deployment and by number of drops, more so than than the units themselves. Yeah. Okay. So more you will look to when you're looking at your opponent, you will shore it up based on the unit strength of a given area. Yeah, and say a dragon or something like that, I will tend to want to throw down something that will delay it. I'm not always about killing the things, about delaying their best units, uh, diverting them. Uh, I had a game the other day, I won't say who, but uh, had a really good, good close game. But I won the game by threatening his war machine with a, a unit, uh, a cheap unit on my side, and I put it within charge range of his, hoping that he would take that charge because he was then going to protect his war machine. Yes, that's going to affect the battle a little bit, but for me, as soon as he did that, I won the game. As soon as he took that bait, I had it, and I knew that because I knew there was no possible way of him getting back into the game. So he's gone for the charge. I've then thrown a flyer onto the objective, taken it. It was a raised one where you pick up the objective. I had the other two sealed up. Didn't matter whether he got the centre or not. He wasn't getting the other two. I've instantly won the game three turns before the game finishes. So uh, things like that, um, yeah, I'll, I'll tend to, to use things that way. I'm very much a, a trade pieces with people. Um, common thing is... If people would say, if I've made a mistake, have a good look at it because I've usually made the mistake on purpose. Mm. Yes, yeah. It's something they go, oh. Yeah, which, makes, which makes it not a mistake, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, damn. <laughs> it means they don't know Jeffrey Trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so. Um, and so your list building style, you obviously outdrop most people. Right, if you're building to that 15 to 17 range. Now, 
if you're responding to your opponent and say what you said there was that you know you'll have something fast to counter the dragon what about the order you put it down because obviously you know exactly what's in your army so you don't have to put the counter down immediately do you have a specific way you like to drop the army down or it doesn't matter okay chaff chaff will nine times out of ten go first uh then if there's certain things that have to go in an area, say like inspiring, they may as well go down next because they're going to have to be in that area next. Um, and they're usually pretty cheap, I guess. That's right. And by the time we've got to this point, we're already getting some of their major units down. So I'm already being able to now place the things that I want to uh, combat that unit, say that cavalry or, or whatever. Uh, and I'll leave the last pieces for that dragon or the war machine or whatever to the very end. Now, it mightn't be my most expensive unit, but it's the best answer uh, to what they've got and what they're holding back. Like, how many people will drop a dragon out last? Mm. Yes. 90% of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what you see to be their strength, you'll, you'll keep your counters in hand until they drop their strength. Yes, yep. yes, always always keep them in hand. Sometimes you'll get a little bit caught out and you'll get something down uh, and they'll have something that tends to counter it a little bit, but you know, nine times out of ten, I, it's in my hands. If there's a mistake, it's my mistake. Mm. Okay. What about terrain? Do you, do you account for terrain? I mean... I guess it's different, well, it might not be different to some areas, but in Australia we either tend to use the Epic Dwarf maps or the Blackjack maps, which are all fairly even. Um, so does it really come into, I guess, and I guess terrain, when we're talking about it, includes um, the inclusion of Pathfinder or Strider. Do you do you take that into account? Occasionally I'll, I do take it into account with the scenarios. So uh, I'll look at the table because obviously your first thing you're going to do is pick sides. So that, that can be a big part of where the terrain is, <clears throat> if not the only part of where the terrain is. Um, and what about when you're list building? Do you think about it as part of the list building or not really? Not really. No. no. So to you, you don't have to have a certain amount of units that have some form of access to Pathfinder? No, I run many lists without any Pathfinder at all. Yeah, okay. And so that just changes the role of that unit to you if it doesn't ha- have it. Or, yeah. how, or how you will use it anyway. I think the partially would be I don't run a lot of cavalry. Uh, so they're the ones that really do need the Pathfinder. Uh, and the, the list where I do have cavalry tends to be forces of nature have inbuilt Pathfinder. So <clears throat> I tend to play with it a bit. Because the infantry is not as – they're probably going to get charge you anyway, so you normally want to be in ter- terrain to cop the charge. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't make a, a great deal of difference. If you get a Speed 5 unit putting Pathfinder on, it's really not going to get you anywhere. And so on on that, in terms of if we just jump off to Cavalry for a second, why would you tend to not include them? Is it is it mostly because of their speed or you don't see them as point efficient or both? Oh, no, I find them very point efficient and they, they do work well. I'm just not – I don't find myself – good at using them. I tend to, uh, you know, put them out there or do the charges and then I'm isolated and get caught out, whereas when I run my infantry style, this everything's together and supports each other. So it's more my deficiency in playing them 
than a deficiency in the unit because people play them quite well. They play them better than I do. But, uh, yeah, I'm just not good with them. And um, I don't know if we've run any tournaments like this in Australia, but I know they like to do it in the States, and I don't know if you've done it on UB. Have you ever deployed terrain as part of the game? I think we did ages ago. We, we had a tournament like that. Mm. Uh, and what's your like, preference? Do you like it set yeah, before? Or? Not keen on it. You know, yeah, some stupid bloody maps. Having shoved in the middle if they've, you know, say the person's got war machines and they'll bank it all up in the middle and just, you know, the Epic Dwarf maps are definitely the way to go. They're balanced. They've got a bit of everything. You can get some cover in there, but the player who has their war machines or their shooting list has a fair go as well. Everyone gets a fair go. That other type tends to ruin some people's day. As much as I don't like war machine builds, um, you know, they have a place in the, in the game and the people that enjoy playing them deserve to enjoy playing them. So trying to ruin that for them is, is not the way to do it. Um, and so when you're list building, do you consider the first turn at all in terms of the dice roll? Uh, yes, I, I'm opposite to a lot of people. Um, well, I suppose it might be 50-50. Some like to go first, some like to go second. I find most people like to go first. About the only one I like to go first on is uh, Invade because I like to fight on their side of the table because, again, you might you might lose the battle, but because the fight's on their side of the table, you win anyway. So I've had that happen many times. The other ones, those lists with lots of, uh, uh, what's the word when they uh, scout, they're moving up. So uh, one of the friends in the UK uses a really good uh, nature list with all the shamblers, tree tree guys, etc. And uh, some of the scenarios you're up against it straight away. He's got the whole of his army on the centre line before you get to move. So uh, in that case, I need to go first, depending on the the scenario. Or he's got the got the scenarios in hand, and I'm an uphill battle from word go. Yep. And that, I mean, I guess that's a reasonably niche list, but would you consider a list like that when you're building your own? Would you be thinking, what if I come up against a scout list? Yeah, I, I go through every type of scenario I can with my list. What if I come up against shooting? What if I come up against lightning bolt lists? What if I come up against flyers? Um, undead's another major problem I find, um, especially with the surge, etc. That's really hard to contain. Um, yeah, I, I tend to go through every style of list, uh, and, and also get as many practice games in against different styles of lists. That, that's one of the points I was going to say. People look at my list and say, Oh, he's got three of this and he's got four of that. And he's got, you know, and some people don't like that I don't have one of this and one of that. The reason I end up, uh, building my list that way was because that's how I practiced. Because I found that if I wanted to try a new unit, say a honor guard unit or something like that, if I put one in my army and then I play uh, your list of, say, Brotherhood or whatever, it tends on average to die. One of the first things to go in your army tends to be the new one you want to try. So you don't really get to try it. The best way to try that unit out is have 
three of them or four of them or whatever uh, so that you can try it out in different situations against different types of units and see where it's working because, you know, theory and, and putting it on the board are two different things. So it, it really gives me a, a good idea of uh, what benefits the unit might bring, how it works, and it became just part of the way I build my list. So now it's normal for me to have three or four or something. Yep. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. That, that's, how, that's how it came about. Oh, well, we're certainly learning a lot here, Tracy. What I'm sitting here thinking, though, is you, you don't seem to have any minutes left in the day besides Kings of War minutes and work minutes, I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, I've got a big family too, so. Yeah, yeah. And I do also occasionally see on Discord that you enjoy a little bit of Warhammer Total War as well. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I was playing it just before uh, we started talking. So. <laughs> oh, boy, if I put some serious hours into that game. Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. I just leave it on so I can go back and play a turn or two when I get a chance. <laughs> yeah, I get home and it's ready to go. Yeah. For battles. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I love the game. Yeah. So we've been through now, mate, the, uh, I guess the, the general list building ethos that you've got. Um, why don't we move on to something like a specific list? Uh, can you, if you can take us through a typical list for you, and I reckon let's go around the 2300 points level because that seems to be pretty popular worldwide. Um, you got something for us that you can give us a bit of background on? We do. Uh, so I'll give you my forces of abyss. I, I normally don't run at 2300, as you know, we tend to be more around the 2000 point here. But it's not hard. Often when I'm playing, uh, people, especially from the US, they want to play uh, at 2300. So, to me, it's not that hard to uh, to adjust. <clears throat> so, it's my typical 2,000-point list with just an extra drop or two in there. So, I would start with uh, my hammers, which would be three hordes of Mollocks. Uh, so, good, strong, hard-hitting units, but really need to be protected. So, because uh, yeah, they, they, they're Def 4, aren't they? Yeah, yep. yeah, Def 4, speed 6, so... Cavalry, things like that can go through them in one go. Uh, so they're, they're a great hitting unit, you know, hitting on threes, crushing two. But, uh, yeah, if they're not played the right way, they will die like flies. Uh, three regiments of ghouls. So, again, that's chaff and unlocks, which I'll need for my, uh, for my characters. Then I've got a, a horde of ghouls. I don't always use them, but... Uh, it was just the points that made me go over to the Horde. I'd normally run four regiments, but I had 60 points left over. As I said, I'm not as big on the items. Uh, a unit of gargoyles, and just the one troop. Uh, two regiments of tortured souls. Uh, one abyssal fiend. More inspiring and shooting going in there. Uh, three of the warlocks with uh, no items on them either. Had a lot of people comment on my use of uh, wizards without any items. No, I have my reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, two blood masks. So they're the the little cavalry characters there to combat the flyers and jam units up, etc. They're not uh, mighty, but as you know, if you can get that wound off, it works the same as mighty. And then the manifestation of bale will give me a little bit of shooting support and is also a, a good one to threaten their big flyers with. Is that the one that you can disorder once per game? 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. I've never got to use it yet. Oh, really? Yeah, I had mm. my, my big thing in, in CanCon this year was to get that to work. That was my one goal, was to make that work in one of my games, and I still didn't get to do it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I so, might just do it for the fun of it. Yeah. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, risk the loss, mate. Even as much as that, as much as that would pain you. <laughs> um, so if we look at this list a bit closer, you said so you've got that three units of Molochs, which you said are your hammers, and yeah, they definitely put out a bigger bit of hurt. I think they're crushing two or something, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and that crushing is so valuable in this edition. And then, and then one thing you mentioned when we were talking earlier was your, your chaff delivery system. So is that a combination of your ghouls and your tortured souls and your gargoyles or what do you see in this list as the real talk, the delivery system? Okay. My, my initial ones that I would uh, put out there as chaff would be my ghouls. Uh, the gargoyles, if I need that extra distance to stop someone, because sometimes you can't maneuver your, uh, your ghouls into a position to stop that charge of the cavalry or, or whatever, or say a flyer, etc. So the gargoyles are very good for that long range one. Uh, tortured souls, a good value medium one. As I said, I normally don't go the medium base ones, but at 120 points and speed eight, and the fact that they can actually jump over the opposition being flyers, I just think of them as a, a cavalry that can jump and well, oh. in, a, in a flank, they sudden, suddenly become more of a hammer, don't they? Yeah. Oh, they're still not even a hammer then, but they, they can definitely add to a combat and, and turn combat in your favour. So they, they are a good all-round unit. The Abyssal Fiend adds a, a little bit more uh, inspiring, but I think if you look at this list, I've got five sources of inspiring in it. Um, mm. The Breath Attack's really good in that... Because of his height, he can move up behind the ghouls um, and and breathe over the top of them. So he won't get the charge or won't be charged as often. When I first started using him, it, it was one of the things that drew me to the list was the Abyssal Fiend. As I said, I'll, I'll look at something and go, oh, wow, I'd really like to try that. And my initial uh, runs with it was I found I'd go up to do the breath and then get charged, and I thought, I'm not really achieving much here. I put one or two wounds and then cop a massive charge on the damn thing. So it it wasn't really working out. But uh, running one behind infantry and that is very good. And then you'll get the charge and get that grind going. Because say a cavalry or whatever, uh, once you've taken that thunderous charge off them, then he can handle them. But he doesn't want to get a charge off them initially. Uh, the warlocks. Uh, they're a, a chaff unit as well, so they're the the multi-purpose one. They they do the shooting, and that's that's why I don't put bane chant or anything. I also throw them into combat because they are a scoring unit and will get the bonus for the flank. Uh, they're nimble, so again, they're a ninety-point unit that I can use as chaff that can get me get just about anywhere. Um, the Blood Mask, as I said, more to stop the anti-flyers and also anti-cavalry. And then Manifestation. If they don't have the big flyers, then he'll go down the flanks and threaten theirs. If they do have the big flyers, he'll tend to do a bit of a standoff with them. But because he has the lightning bolt, you've got a bit of an edge over them because you're doing damage that will force them into a mistake. Yep. Okay. 
And would you say this this list is a good example of a typical list construction for you? Yes, I would. That, that's fairly typical. That, that's draw. I just made it up before I got on, but that's taken from what I would normally use. That is a list that I would use. That's 17 drops and 28 unit strength. Right, yeah, okay, which is both fairly high. Yeah, um, see, I've tried to account for nearly every single thing. It accounts for nearly any type of scenario because I've got lots of scoring units, uh, lots of unit strength. Uh, I can deal with the big threatening units, the hammers that they might have that are better than mine. So, yeah, it covers nearly all bases. Hmm. And um, how did this list develop over time? Where did you start? Is it that the the hordes jumped out of you of of Moloch's as as great hammers, or where did did you start with it when you were building? Okay, well, I won a few prizes over the years, and Moloch's was one of the ones that I had. I actually won a a full uh, abyssal uh, army box. I loved the look of the Moloch's, so, and they were they were pretty shoddy as units, but you know, I love the look of them. You you tend to want to use them anyway. So, but in this edition, I, I believe they've got even better. Yeah, so, you almost made a hobby choice there, Tracy. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> I am guilty of that as well. As I said, whatever I play, even online, I. I want to know that I've got the, the units there that I can actually play with. Um, and as you know, at, at the latest CanCon, I tried to put together a full Mantic army to play, uh, which was why I went the Forces of Abyss, because that was the one that I had the most Mantic models with. And I put my uh, allies in that list because I needed them to make it a full Mantic army. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So a real hobby choice. Yes, yeah, well, that was a hat choice. That yeah, one. yeah, true. <laughs> hat choice. <laughs> and, um, and so you, you started with the Mollocks, so you had those models, you liked the look at them. Um, in this edition, they happened to get a bit better. And so how did the list then come together after that? Okay, well, as I said, I, my, my initial thought was the Abyssal Fiend. I saw that and I thought, wow, that's really good. That's, that's good value. It's a, I love things that can do more than one thing. So it was inspiring, it was shooting, it had brutal, had decent speed at speed seven. Um, so yeah, to me it looked like a really good all-rounder and I love all-rounders. So I sort of started from there. I knew I had the Mollocks and that. So that gave me my hammers. Then I thought, okay, let's look at the chaff. And they turned out to be really good. The, the regiments of ghouls are, are fantastic for their points. Um, so many people uh, don't realise how, how well they'll take a charge. And that 14, 16 nerve, and, um, yeah, they don't, they don't always pop. They can charge them with a full unit of cavalry and they won't die. So uh, they were very good. Gargoyles, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with them i've got i've got all the models for them which is a real sad thing because i could put six units of gargoyles on the table like all the mantic models but um yeah i'm not not a super big fan of them um because if the person has that little bit of lightning bolt or whatever they just as i said they tend to die so easy one or two is all right because you can tend to hide them and 
and get some use out of them. Mm. But if they're dying early, they're not really fulfilling their role, are they? Uh, no, they're not. So I tend to not go too heavy on them. But I, I, I like to use the models I've got. Although I swear personally, playing against gargoyles, mm -hmm. I don't reckon I've ever taken the unit off first up. I always roll bad nerve when I'm trying <laughs> to... <laughs> that is <Even> true. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden they're regen to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm dealing yeah. with them for two or three turns. Yeah, that's true. That's true. As I say, they, they definitely have their uses and they can be really good. But I don't want to run four or five of them. Was there anything in this list at one point that, that's not there now that you tried it and you went, no, that's, that's not going to work besides maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe more gargoyles. Anything else? Uh, I tried yeah, a quick look at the book. So I tend to play just about everything. There's certain things I'll look at and straight away go, no, I won't use that. Um, I know with the cavalry was a no straight go. So I've never even tried it. For me, the cost of them at the uh, nerve value, they're, uh, yes, they have regeneration, but regeneration is only any good to you if you survive. Um, and, yeah, the Abyssal Horsemen are 240 points, and they're only a 14, 16 nerve. And to me, it's just, yes, exactly. They're a good, good unit, and, yes, they could be used, but they're a little bit too brittle for what I want. I have used imps. Uh, they can be good, but then when I compare them to, say, the uh, a troop of of uh, abyssal ghouls, which are the same speed, uh, same nerve, um, they've got the ghouls have the better defence. Um, yeah, so they're a better chaff chaff unit than the, what the imps are. So tend not to use them now. Hellhounds I haven't used. Uh, Cronius I did try, uh, but, yeah, found it hard to get him in the position that I wanted and get the real value out of him. Um, I haven't used an Archfiend. As I said, I tend not to go for the super-duper ones. And to me, he's probably the least value big flyer in the game that I've seen. Yeah, and, it's, and and why is that? What makes him less well, value, do you think? He's 310 points. He has nine attacks. Mm. So uh, one less than a lot of them. Most of them have 10. Mm. Uh, he's 16, 18 nerves, so that's less than most of them again. Um, yes, he gets uh, vicious, but a lot of them have that sort of thing. They'll have... have uh, Elite or vicious or something. Yeah, mm. yeah. They'll have something to make up for it, but yeah, for me at 310 points, I just don't think he's worth it. There's others that are definitely better than him. He gets the fireball 10, but that's a bit of a, a gimmick. And I mean, sometimes they can be a drawback, aren't they? Because they're so expensive, realistically, you want them in a flank or rear, and if you're playing someone really good, it might not happen. No, that's and, right. And, and if you spend a lot of points on that, then you're probably not getting all its value back, are you? No, and if people go too too much that way, they can get in scenarios. I can look at their army and say, well, I'm going to win this before I play them because of what they've got and, and how I can sort of uh, manoeuvre around them and tie them up long enough to win the scenario before they can do anything about it. And that that's those sort of choices. 
Um, they have some good flying characters as well, which I tried. The Seductress. Tried her. Um, Matsubusu, I can't even pronounce it. <clears throat> but, yeah, he, he, he or she was pretty good. Um, well of Souls, um, not as good. Used to be my favourite one in the game. I thought it was the best value model in the game, but it's not now. Lost, uh, went up in points and lost, uh, the life leech went down to three instead of five. Still reasonable and I think it deserved to be, uh, knocked down. So it's not that I disagree, but I'd rather bail now. I think he's a better all-rounder. Uh, so yeah, I've used most of the things there, most of, most of the units. Um, trial error, like I said. And so, what what do you see that this army that you've built, not not um not the abyss in general, but your list does really well, and what does it struggle with? Okay, um, does really well on scenario because it's how I build it. Lots of unit strength, lots of scoring drops. So it's not just a matter of drops, but ones that actually score. That's a, a big difference. So there's 15 scoring drops. So when you're playing those ones where you've got seven tokens, things like that, it's, uh, we'll have a big battle. You'll kill a thousand points of mine. I'll kill a thousand points of yours. You've got three units left and I've got eight units left to go and grab those tokens. And that's, that can be all the difference and, and often is the difference. So it does really well on that. Uh, the unit strength is massive on the ones like invade, uh, so any of those type of scenarios um, will struggle a little bit against uh, multiple flyers, multiple big flyers, but at least I have answers there for them. Um, shooting, yes and no, more more to the uh, lightning bolt uh, type shooting list, not the general shooting list, because I've got enough there to cover up the Molochs. But uh, the lightning bolt lists tend to get at you a lot better than they're not worried about the cover, etc. Although they do worry about cover, but, um, yeah, they, they just tend to be a, a bigger problem. Uh, but, yeah, there's nothing really I'm that scared of when I'm playing off. The, the biggest one that I had dramas with was Undead. Undead was my hardest one. When I lost in the, the second Call to Arms... I'd, I'd won every round for the first five rounds, so I was in the lead and they decided to run a sixth round, and I played Undead the the previous round and had a really tight game. It was, it was real touch and go to who was going to win it, and I got Undead again, and it was the one where you've got the six squares, control maybe, I think. Yeah, and to me it's critical to get second turn in that scenario. If you're playing someone of a high calibre who's who's going to give you a, a very tough game, whoever has that second turn's got a massive advantage. And that's what it came down to. When we came to turn six, I just went bang, 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 got the majority of points in the things, but because he was going second, he then counted all my moves and got the unit strength over me and won the game. 
and it all came down to who who went second. So to me, that was a, a massive difference was on the roll. It was uh, uh, nothing taken from him because I would have done the exact same thing to him. Yeah. I'm going to let you pick one unit from that list as your favourite unit. What would it be? It's a toss-up, but I'll say the Warlock. The Warlock. That. Okay, and why is that? Because uh, he just does so many things. He, he really does. He, he's there inspiring. The the five shots a turn is fantastic. Really builds up, you know, uh, against other lists on, on pumping out damage. Uh, he's moved six, shoot 18, so you get a 24-inch threat, which is really good. Uh, he's nimble, so steady aim. Um, when it comes down to a crunch, if he's got to save the Molochs from getting charged, he can go in any direction, being nimble and, and get in front, and he tends to survive quite a bit too. His nerve's not too bad and being self-inspiring. Then if they don't kill him, he's also got regeneration. So he really is a, a character that does multiple <clears throat> roles in the game at a cost of 90 points. Okay. And and uh, you said that potentially multiple big flyers might be a bit of a problem. What about in terms of actual army race? Is there anything you struggle against or not really? Uh, yeah, undead. That's undead, yeah. Yeah, that, mm. that was the main one. Mm. Uh, the, uh, and, is, and mostly because they can put out a similar style. Um, not so much that. They're, they're high nerve and uh, just... Something going on out there. Uh, the fact that the, the surge really breaks the game. Like my whole way of playing a game is to outmaneuver someone and put them in positions they can't get out of. But you add surge to the mix, and it is something that's outside the normal parameters of a. So it's like uh, a valid way of cheating in the movement phase. Yep, a little less predictable. That's right. So. I have a much harder time trying to control that because I can't control it all. So that's that's where I have a little bit of difficulty. Uh, and even if they don't surge during the game, it's like like we said with the Flyers, because they have the ability to do it, it, it throws your game plans out. So, um, yeah, I tend to struggle a bit against them, or I did with this list. And if I said to you that uh, I basically take that list... But cull it to twenty three hundred, uh, two thousand points. Sorry, what would go? Um, couple of choices. I could either drop the manifestation of Bale, uh, um, and then drop the horde of ghouls down to a regiment, and then I'd have some points left over to uh, to put on some units, or um, I'd cut the horde out altogether. And the Abyssal Fiend out altogether. You keep Bale and then use, again, you'd have like 25 points left over to, uh, to put some item, items on things like Blade of Slashing and maybe Strider on one of the Mollocks, something like that. Okay. And what if I let you go up to 2500? What would really power that list up? What would you add? I would add another hammer at 2500. I think you'd need the extra one. I've got plenty of chaff there. So um, I'd, I'd add in another Moloch unit, uh, strip the horde back to a regiment, and again, what would that uh, It's going to give me an extra thirty-five points to spend on items in that that scenario. 
Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a brief break and be back in a second. Hi, this is Eric Trowbridge, 2020 U.S. Master, and you're listening to Countercharge. And we're back. Uh, so now we have some listener questions from the Facebook page. Uh, our first question is from Michael Geld, the man who patented the appendage windmill. Uh, he says, Tracy, when do you plan to retire and let other players win? <laughs> Bit cheeky. Yeah, I know Michael well. Yeah. Um, probably about 30 years' time, Michael. <laughs> uh, either that or when I go blind. That'll make you 130, won't it, Tracy? Oh, pretty no. close to it, I reckon. Close to it. Yeah, no, I've got no, no, uh, if I keep playing as long as I can, I'll be, I'll be playing. I just play. I don't care if I'm, well, I do care if I'm winning, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep playing. I, I love the game too much. Yeah. I'm going to paraphrase that for you, Tracy. Geldy, mm-hmm. go find another game. I am Michael. Yeah. He is a good player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we've got one from Nick Braddock, I think you, I don't know if that's how you say it, but uh, would you have any advice for a new player that wants to get more into the competitive scene? Okay. Uh, well, firstly, and I think from what we've talked about, my biggest focus is on scenario, and that's where I've had success in the tournaments is because that's what I concentrate on, that's what I build my list for, and that's the way I play. Uh, secondly, that isn't necessarily going to work for other people, but, uh, I've had other people try and take my lists and use them and then get absolutely smashed, uh, because it's not their style of play. So you really have to try a few different types of lists, find the army you want and then try an elite one, try a, you know, a, a one like mine, you know, just muck around with a couple of different ones and find what you enjoy playing. And then if you do lose, it's not so bad because you're enjoying playing while you do it anyway. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's still about enjoying the game. Um, we all like to win, but we can't win all the time. So, uh, yeah, I just uh, trial and error. Mm, that's great advice. Uh, then we have a bunch of questions from someone named Steve Hildrew. Yeah, I've, I, yeah, I've personally never heard of her. But, uh, <laughs> anyone's allowed questions here, so we'll we'll have a look at them. Uh, we've covered. He had one about combat groups, which we've kind of covered. Yes. Um, we've also kind of covered actually what your starting point for list building. Will your starting point always be a hammer, or it could be any unit? Oh, it can be any unit. Yeah. So just a unit that you like the look of efficiency yes, wise. Yes. As I said, it's more that I'll, I'll compare it to something that I'm playing currently. Then uh, I look at it and go, oh, geez, that would be a good idea. And as I said, I either go down the thing of throwing it in, in as an ally so that I can trial it out more. And if I really start to enjoy it, I'll then go over to that, that army and I'll build out from there. When I say build out, if it's the hammer or the chaff unit or the character, I will then add in the other pieces to the army from that position. Yeah. Okay. All right. And across all the armies that you've played, if you mm-hmm. had an MVP unit for objective scoring, what would it be? <sighs> large infantry characters. Yep, so any large infantry character that you'd use? Yeah, so in this list that I just gave you, the Warlock. The Warlock. Do you have a favourite large infantry character of all time? At the moment, it would be the Death Horror Eternal. Okay, and why is that? Uh, again, fantastic value is... is uh, Dash 16, 
He went up to defence forward. Don't know why. It, to me, he's too good a value. Um, he has ensnare. He's nimble. He's speed six. He's inspiring. He's got everything there. He's got thing at a, a really good value. Uh, yeah, really good value for what he does and things like that. They they get into your flanks. They can they can do so many roles. As I said, multi-role units are what I'm looking for. And they're at a price that I can, that I can build my list big enough to get what I want, which is, you know, around that 14 to 16 drops. If yeah. Possible. Yeah. Uh, and ensnare's so powerful, isn't it? Such, such, such a good rule. Yeah. If, that, if you that, can access it. That one model can stop virtually anything in the game. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about that def four versus three. I think with all the changes we've seen this edition with a bit of, uh, you know, the changes to Thunderous, uh, less crushing on, on offer. Um, I think you see even that jump from def up to def four creates exponential value, right? Yes. Yes, definitely. Well, the, the weakness, as most people know, was shooting def three to def four, <clears throat> given it a lot more staying power, especially when you dash 16. That is. And even if you lose it, it's still only 115 points or something. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. All right, Tracy. Well, that uh, that does the meat and three vegetables of our of our <laughs> show. We've just got the the last bit, which it's uh, tradition to do some rapid fire questions where you don't think too much about the answers and just go with whatever first comes to your head. Oh. All right. So, what's your favourite army? <laughs> nature. I'll say forces of nature. Nature. Least favourite scenario? Kill. What drives you, creative or competitive? Competitive. When your opponent rolls snake eyes? I feel sorry for them. When you roll snake eyes? I feel sorry for me. <laughs> what is your favourite hobby material? Uh, probably that stuff that you put on after you painted. And it's, uh, the varnish? Yeah, 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 the bunch. Yeah. yeah. Makes, makes a terrible job look good. Yeah. <laughs> What's your biggest gaming pet peeve? Ah, pet peeve. Um, well, beside the double one, I'm not, not keen on the, the double one. Um, yeah, I suppose, I suppose that's my, I did have them. Yeah. Probably the double ones. Mm-hmm. If you had to replace miniature wargaming with another hobby, what would it be? Uh, computer games. Mm-hmm. What other miniature wargame would you not want to play? There's, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of the little skirmishy games, but I, I think even those are good. So there's nothing that I wouldn't want to play. If I couldn't play this, uh, I'd uh, play one of the others. I love Blood Bowl and... Yeah. Most of the games are good once you get into them. And if you had a romantic evening with Ronnie Renton, <laughs> and if you could also get under that lovely mane of hair of his to whisper <laughs> sweetly in his ear, yeah. what would you what would you whisper to him? What would I whisper to him? What would say? Do you feel like a game now? <laughs> uh, well, thanks for that, Tracy. It's probably all we've got time for. I really appreciate your time. Um, Hopefully we've given the people plenty to ponder and, and listen to. I'll certainly be going away and analysing this, mate. So on the chance that post-corona or on UB we uh, get the chance to have a game, I'll yeah. hopefully have picked your game apart. Um, yep. have, have you got any shout-outs you want to do before we go? Mm, not really. I just hope everyone stays safe and 
looks after themselves and hopefully we'll all get together again soon. Yeah, I agree. Uh, quick one, we've got a UB tournament coming up at the end of April called Kings of the Pandemic. You might have seen that in the UB groups. Um, in a bit of a change, Tracy, which you wouldn't have heard yet because it hasn't been announced for the next couple of months, we're going to somehow look at working UB into the Masters um, for a temporary period. Uh, the current plan looks like we will probably um, allow a certain amount of UB tournaments and then whoever's leading those as a separate rankings would get an auto invite. Okay. Um, but it kind of all depends on how long this goes on for. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if anyone's interested, well, you know, we're going to leave it open. So, um, but it'll all be coordinated on Australian time. So there won't be many people around the world wanting to give up a day otherwise, but we'll put it out there. Well, it's good um, to get the other Australians in on it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the one benefit. We're going to get to spread it out. Um, across the country a bit more than maybe a normal tournament. Um, all right, mate. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and uh, if you'd like to take us out. Okay. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.